The tales on this podcast are dark, sometimes scary, and full of adult themes. As a warning, the original story of the Deacon of Mirka features gore and sexual undertones. Please exercise caution for children under 13. Galloping along the fjord, Magnus felt like he was flying. He was always in good spirits after spending the night at Guruns. He'd stayed with her until the very last moment. He never wanted to leave. But as the deacon of Mirka, his duty to God came above all, even the woman he loved. He had to get back to his duties. Unfortunately, this morning, he faced a roadblock to those duties, literally. The river Horga had thawed overnight, and he couldn't cross the ice the same way he came. Magnus looked the river up and down before directing his horse south toward the nearest bridge. As he rode, his mind ran through the details of next week's Christmas celebrations, including asking Wurun the big question on Christmas Day, would she marry him? He felt like a giddy child at the thought, and sure of her answer. She'd hinted that she was ready for some time. At the bridge, Magnus dismounted. It looked slick, and he didn't want to risk injuring his horse, Foxe, so the deacon picked his way across the bridge, leading his valiant steed behind him. He tapped his foot forward, feeling for the surest path. Wood cracked, ice fell, his foot slipped. Magnus slid on the ice, off the bridge, toward the river. As he crashed into the slush, an icicle pierced the back of his skull. His mind went dizzy as freezing water enveloped him. As his consciousness faded, Magnus realized Gurun would not spend the rest of her days at his side. Then he sank. I'm Vanessa Richardson. You're listening to Tales, a Spotify original from Parcast. Every Wednesday, we dive into the dark origins of another fairy tale. You can find all episodes of Tales and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free exclusively on Spotify. This week, one of Iceland's most famous tales, The Deacon of Mirka. It follows a young couple with a love so strong, even death refuses to let them part. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. 
Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. In the 1850s, the success of the Grimm brothers roared across Europe. In response, imitators popped up across the continent, gathering their own sets of local folktales. In 1862, Iceland's Jón Arnason published his own collection, which was later translated as Icelandic Legends. At the heart of the book was one of Iceland's most popular stories, the Deacon of Mirka, an Icelandic Christian tradition, a deacon dedicates himself to the church. He's an upstanding member of the community, helping the priests with ministry and administering sacraments. But unlike priests who vow to remain celibate, a deacon can marry and have children. For devout Christians, a deacon is the perfect man. So when the deacon of Mirka proves to be less than perfect, the message is clear. Evil is afoot. Gurun sprinkled nuts on her skier. She'd prepared the traditional Icelandic yogurt-like dish for herself and Magnus that morning, and was now hoping he would speak. He smiled at her and returned to his breakfast, quiet. Gurun toyed with the necklace Magnus had given her last Christmas. She had prayed today would be the day, but clearly God hadn't relayed the message to Magnus. Perhaps it was as Gurun's mother told her, Sometimes women need to help God move things along, so she chose the next conversation topic herself. Our friends Olaf and Sigrun, didn't they have such a beautiful wedding? Father Jón does a lovely ceremony. Magnus nodded. Wonderful, and the best honeymead. Speaking of... Magnus took another bite of skier while Gurun's heart threatened to race out of her chest. Magnus swallowed. Is the mead on the stove hot yet? Gurun got up to check, miffed. For months, she'd done everything her mother suggested, and still Magnus hadn't asked for her hand. She was too nervous to outright say, let's marry. No true Icelander wanted an assertive wife. She sipped mead out of the ladle, spiced steam drifting into her nose. It was ready, perfect for this cold morning. She served Magnus. He took it gratefully, saying, Runi, I have a question for you. Gurun's hands tightened on her mead. This was the moment. She hoped she didn't smell too much like skier. Magnus continued, I love you, you know that, but I thought I should formally ask, will you attend the parish Christmas party with me? Gurun's heart dropped in disappointment. I'd love to. And she meant it. That wasn't a lie, even though it felt like one. Magnus kissed her, apparently oblivious, then said he ought to be going to Mass. He'd already stayed later than he should have. After a chaste goodbye kiss, he told her he'd pick her up for the party next week on Christmas Eve. She promised to wear a new dress and the necklace he'd given her. He kissed her hand and rode his horse off towards the fjord. Watching Magnus go, Gurun tried to calm herself. Maybe he was waiting to ask for her hand on Christmas. She could be patient a bit longer. After all, they had the rest of their lives to spend together. 
For the next week, Gulrun tried to keep busy with Christmas preparations, baking, decorating, building snowmen, all supposedly fun. But Gulrun couldn't shake an ominous feeling of foreboding, of wrongness. Her parents tried to comfort her, but when they asked what was wrong, she couldn't tell them. She didn't know. On Christmas Eve, Wu-Run fretted by the fire, stitching quickly. She finished her final knot and cut the thread with her teeth. She'd added and removed the lace three times already and finally settled on keeping the festive sleeves. She didn't have time for more adjustments. It was after sundown. She had to get dressed before Magnus arrived. She couldn't wait to see him. They often spent full weeks apart, but this week had felt longer, imbued with a sense of permanence. The knock on her door startled her. It was too early for Magnus. It must be a visitor for her mother. Gurun kept working. Another knock, louder. Apparently, her parents weren't in the mood to answer the door. Gurun scrambled over to it, barefoot, and opened it. Magnus's eyes smiled at her from above his scarf. Gurun let him in quickly to keep out the chill, saying, You're early. In response, he tapped his watch. She threw her arms around him, tilting her face up for a kiss. Magnus's response was passionate, different from his usual kisses, wetter and rougher. Gurun had never been kissed like that, and she never wanted it to stop. When she finally pulled away, concerned her parents might notice such lewd behavior, Magnus gripped her waist uncomfortably tight. He kissed her again, leaving her head spinning before pushing her away. He gestured to her boots. The intent was clear, and apparently Magnus was in no mood for conversation. Gurun fretted. Were they running late? As Gurun laced up her boots, Magnus opened the door. Time to go. He held it open, even as the wind chilled the room. She grabbed her coat, but before she could pull it on, Magnus whisked her outside. At her gate, Foxe the horse reared against his ropes. He too seemed desperate to get moving. Paying the horse no mind, Magnus grabbed Gurun's waist too tightly again, hefting her onto the saddle as Foxe cowered below him. Magnus hopped onto the horse himself and gave a swift kick. The horse bolted. Gurun swung her arms around Magnus, clinging like moss on a river rock. She'd only gotten her arm through one side of her coat. The other sleeve flew wildly behind her, a flag advertising Magnus's penchant for punctuality. Gurun buried her face in the back of Magnus's neck, but found it oddly wet. It must be melted snow from the ride over. Magnus pulled out a switch, whipping Foxe. Gurun didn't even know Magnus had a switch. He'd always been so gentle with his horses, but they were clearly running very late. Whipped into a frenzy, Foxe leapt into the air, over the river. Gurun popped her head over Magnus's shoulder and saw that they were charging the Horga River head on. 
Inertia flung Guran's head back, then rocked her forward as they flew impossibly far over the dark water. The force slipped Magnus's hat loose, damp wool brushing Guran's nose. She tried to catch it with her teeth, but the hat slid past her lips, taken by the wind. Foxe's hooves hit solid earth, jerking them both back again. They'd somehow cleared the river and were back on dry land. Magnus was silent, racing forward. Gurun turned forward to express her relief and then faced sheer horror. Moonlight gleamed on Magnus's bare skull. His hair and skin had been ripped away, exposing cracked bone. Blood and viscera seeped down his neck in shiny rivulets. Gurun shuddered as she realized that the wetness on her face wasn't melted snow. It was spinal fluid. Before she could cry out in horror, Foxe jumped over a log. At that, Magnus's head jerked forward, falling right off his neck. With this injury, how could Magnus be alive, much less able to ride a horse or kiss her like that? Something was horribly wrong. Coming up, Gurun realizes her beloved deacon is one of the undead. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now back to the story. Racing forward on his steed, the deacon of Mirka lifted his dangling, severed head with both hands. A few red ligaments stretched between his neck and his jaw. With inhuman power, the deacon wriggled it back onto his neck. Then he turned his skull like a corkscrew. Blood splattered Guran's face as Magnus, the undead deacon of Mirka, faced her nose to nose. Before she could scream, he spoke. Runny, I may be dead, but I ride through the night. In this harsh moonlight, my skull shines bright white. But when I'm with you, my heart is set alight. Gurun screamed in confusion. Speech in verse was the surest sign of the undead. He couldn't be Hermogenus. Let me, let me go, imposter! Magnus, or the monster with his face, twisted his arms to grab onto her tightly. Underneath them, Foxe raced forward, neighing frantically. If Gurun tried to jump, she'd die. The monster deacon spoke. 
Runny, Runny, our affection mustn't end. My dearest one, we have a party to attend. She slapped him. How dare you speak of my plans with my beloved? He picked up the charm on her necklace, holding it between their faces. I am your beloved. I thought you were smart. I gave you this necklace to hang over your heart, to remind you that you own my heart and I own yours. And when your heart beats, my soul roars. The very same words he'd told her the Christmas before. This was Magnus, but something terrible must have happened. He'd died somehow. As a horrible grief started to fill Gwurun's heart, so did tenderness. Magnus always kept his promises, and he'd promised to take her to the Christmas party, even if that meant coming back from the dead. Gwurun touched his cheek with her hand. Magnus grinned, exposing missing molars. And as she looked into his eyes, she knew the man she loved was in there somewhere. The tall wooden spire of the church appeared before them, but instead of riding toward it, Foxe galloped into the cemetery. Bells tinkled as they entered the gate. At the center of the graveyard, Magna stopped the horse and dismounted. He helped Gulrun off. Before her feet hit the ground, Foxe charged away. Gurun felt frozen. She wanted to ask Magnus how he died and how he'd convinced God to send him back to her. But then he got down on one knee. He cleared his throat, a stray tendon popping out. Runny, runny, my wife will you be? Runny, runny, end your life with me. It was finally here. He'd asked. But had he said end your life? Then Wuran spotted an open grave with a weak old tombstone. The name inscribed, Magnus, Deacon of Mirka. In one swoop, Magnus stood, picked Wuran up, and walked her toward the grave. She realized he wanted her buried alongside him. Gurun twisted furiously, kicking until she escaped Magnus's arms. She scrambled across graves, trying to escape or whistle for the horse. Spotting the bells over the gate, she jumped, grabbing the rope and tugging hard on the clapper. They chimed furiously above her. Magnus caught up to Gurun, catching hold of her coat sleeve, which still dangled off her back. He yelled, Runny, drop the bells. There's no hope and no horse. If you won't join me in the grave, this storm will take us there by force. At his command, wind roared in. Snow flicked up off the ground, circling her like a cyclone, a blizzard. Gurun held fast to the bell ropes, ringing them even harder as her feet lifted off the ground and Magnus tugged her coat. Dirt flew from the ground into the maelstrom, encircling them both. As the storm hit a crescendo, Wurun clung to the rope with all her might, and her coat ripped. Magnus shot back into his grave, taking Wurun's coat with him, save the sleeve she'd managed to slip on before leaving home. 
As dirt and snow piled over Magnus, he looked down at the ripped coat and then up at Gurun. Sadness filled his eyes as he realized she wasn't coming with him. But before he could act, the deacon sank beneath the earth. Gurun swayed on her feet, dizzy, rocking like a bell before fainting. She awoke surrounded by a group of drunken revelers and sleepy children crying about the Yule Cat. One especially drunk man grabbed the other's attention. She's finally awake! An older woman asked her, What happened to your coat, dear? Before Gurun could answer, Father Yon, the Mirka parish priest, pushed his way in. Aren't you the deacon's girl? Gurun sat up, still processing. Magnus, the deacon, he, he came back from heaven for me, and I wouldn't go to his grave. I think he tried to, to bury me alive. He took my coat. It ripped. She held up the single sleeve in explanation, still trying to believe it herself. Almost in unison, Father Yon and the revelers went pale. After a moment of quiet, Father Yon explained that the week before, they'd found the deacon's dead body in the river. He'd hit his head on the icy bridge, breaking his neck as he fell into the slushy river. With the bridge collapsed and the ice melted, no one could cross to tell her. They buried him in the church cemetery. Gurun recounted the evening's events in more detail, explaining how the deacon loved her and love somehow brought him back. Father Yon stopped her, wringing his hands. Correct me if I've misheard, but this evening he did not once address you by your Christian name? She blushed. I... Yes, he calls me nicknames and sweet nothings, but he's used my given name plenty. Father Yon prodded her. But not since the good deacon died? Gurun thought it through, then nodded. The priest gave her a pitying look. I'm not saying you didn't love a good man, but as you must know, Gurun in Old Norse means God's secret lore, and demons are, of course, unable to speak the name of the Lord. Gurun shuddered. So you're saying? Father Yon nodded. The deacon didn't come back from heaven. He came back from the underworld. His spirit was captured by evil when he drowned, and if that evil has its way, you'll join him below. In shock, Gurun accepted the priest's offer to spend a few days in Mirka recovering. She could stay in one of the church's spare rooms. Gurun suspected it was Magnus's old bedroom, but was too fearful to ask. That evening, she joined the priest and deacon's friends for Christmas dinner. But even after two plates of smoked lamb and ptarmigan, Gurun went to bed with an emptiness in her stomach. Before Gurun could fall asleep, her door opened. Father Yon limped in through the darkness, then threw an extra blanket on her. Snuggling under it, Gurun murmured, Thank you. On you, my love, I'll always soothe and dote. Runny, runny, put on your torn-up coat. 
As the scent of fresh dirt hit her nostrils, realization shocked Guran awake. Magnus, he grinned at her, smoothing her hair. Guran sprang up, shouting for help. Magnus only came closer, sitting on her feet, pinning her to the bed. He was shirtless, and Guran could see his muscles ripple as he ran his hands sensually up her thighs. Runny, it is me. Truly, do you not see? Let us spend the night together. I'll hold you tight through dark and stormy weather. Guran smacked his hand away. Magnus had never touched her like that before. It's a trap. You're a demon. At that, Magnus rose. Guran rolled away from him, out of bed, running for the door. Before she got far, Magnus grabbed her from behind, arms circling her waist. He hoisted her into the air. She screamed even louder. When he didn't let her go, she elbowed him in the nose. Magnus's head swung back, dangling behind his shoulders. But his arms squeezed harder around Guran's waist. He tilted them both forward, righting his head. Then he barreled them through the door and down the hall. Still shrieking, Guran tried to pry his hands off her, finger by finger. Father Yon raced into the hall, carrying a cross and a candle. Away, ye demon, away! Cold wind whipped through the house, cycloning around Magnus and Guran once again. He'd summoned another storm to whisk her back to his grave. The wind swirled around them, colder, faster, tugging on her hair. Guran wriggled in Magnus's hold, throwing her weight down. Her nightdress bunched in his arms, but she didn't have time to care about modesty. She slipped out of the loose sleeves and tumbled to the floor, naked. She barrel-rolled out of the pull of Magnus's cyclone. As she escaped its hold, the wind whooshed Magnus down the stairs. Her nightdress fluttered, still tight in his grip. As Magnus realized Guran was no longer in his clutches, he cursed. But it was too late. The demon was already out the door, summoned inexorably back to his grave. The door slammed. Father Yon had already run off, terrified. Wu-Run returned to her room, but didn't sleep a wink, terrified she'd wake up with the deacon back in her bed. The next day, Father Yon served her tea and informed her that her nighttime screaming had woken the entire village. Fear of the demon had kept them up. She had to lay the monster to rest now. Gurun apologized profusely and joined the priest in prayers over Magnus's grave that morning. Father Yon was certain our fathers would drive the evil away. Still, she watched Father Yon lock every door and bolt every window before bed. Alone in her room, Gurun got on her knees and prayed the whole dark incident was behind her. But when she opened her eyes, prayers finished. Guran screamed with all her might. The deacon was standing mere inches away. Up next, the deacon lures Guran toward the afterlife. Have you ever spotted McDonald's hot, crispy fries right as they're being scooped into the carton? And time just stands 
still. Now back to the story. Gurun hadn't slept in days. Every night the deacon came to her bed, seducing her with promises of eternity. She screamed and fought, but could never quite tell him to go away. Dead or not, his eyes still felt like home, and his kisses were more thrilling than they'd been in life. But each night, Gurun's stomach sank with the realization that this was not her Magnus. So when he summoned his cyclone to return to the grave, she'd pull the same trick of slipping out of his clutches, sacrificing a garment in the process. Then she'd watch the man she loved whirl back into the earth, angry and alone. She tried to go home, but the deacon followed her there. His cyclone carried her shrieks along the fjord and killed local sheep. This terrified the surrounding villages, so Gurun decided it'd be best to stay at the church until she figured out a solution. With the help of Father Yon, Gurun tried everything to put the former deacon to rest. Once, Father Yon offered to stay with her through the night, reading psalms aloud. Maybe if she wasn't alone, the dead deacon would leave her be. But as soon as Father Yon fell asleep over his Bible, Magnus appeared. The deacon, it seemed, wouldn't go to the afterlife without her. Early the next morning, Gurun lay half awake in bed, staring at the ceiling, trying to fight her exhaustion and come up with a plan. She had to get help. She was running out of nightdresses. Father Yon called to her from outside her room. Gurun, come downstairs. A new solution to our nightly troubles has arrived. God shall deliver us. Gurun struggled through brain fog, throwing on her dressing gown and boots as sleigh bells tinkled outside. Downstairs, Father Yon led her to the churchyard, where a bearded, blonde man in a fur cape sat atop a well-appointed reindeer. He dismounted, showing off strong thighs. Father Yon spoke first. Gurun, this is Stefan. He's a sorcerer from up north. Stefan, this is Gurun, the woman I wrote you about. Stefan's charming smile cut through the fog in Gurun's mind like a lighthouse. She smoothed her wild hair, wishing her face wasn't quite so red from crying. She cleared her throat, saying, I take it you're familiar with demons? The deacon of this parish has haunted me for a fortnight. Father Yon piped in, He's her former betrothed. We were never officially betrothed, Gurun corrected. Stefan's eyes sparkled, but he stayed quiet, surveying the cemetery. Full moon tonight? Gurun nodded. Stefan continued, Most excellent. Demons tend to tire as the moon waxes. We'll vanquish him tonight. Before Gurun could come up with the right words for her handsome, mysterious savior, Father Yon replied, a full moon, just as you arrive. Sounds like a sign from God. Stefan commanded Gurun to follow him. He led Gurun down to the fjord and began brushing snow off a boulder. Gurun was confused. Will vanquish him with snow? Stefan put both hands on the rock, pushing on it. Will vanquish him with a boulder. Help out, won't you? 
Frowning, Gu-Run joined Stefan, pressing her mittens to the rock. At Stefan's direction, she shoved it. It rolled forward under their combined force. After a few rolls, Gu-Run's arms sank. She was already exhausted from lack of sleep and hadn't expected vanquishing a demon to involve such exercise. As she caught her breath, the boulder rolled back at her. Gu-Run pushed her hands up again, barely stopping it from crushing her toes. She cried out, Stefan! The sorcerer leaned one arm against the boulder. The magic only works if you do. He gestured back up to the cemetery. They'd be rolling it all the way up the hill. Remembering the terror of the deacon, Gu-Run sighed and kept pushing. After hours of pushing, Wu-Run collapsed in the snow. She didn't care about her dress getting wet. They'd made it to the flat ground of the church cemetery, and she was exhausted. It had been oddly quiet as they rolled the boulder through the village. Many of the citizens were catching up on sleep, and those who had to be awake weren't in the mood to do more than glare at the source of their torment. Stefan instructed Gu-Run to take a nap while he prepared his incantations and meet him back at the boulder before sunset. Gu-Run went to her room but was unable to sleep for fear of the deacon, even with the sunshine streaming through the windows. Finally, Gu-Run returned to the cemetery. The low-hanging sun cast shadows over the tombstones, and as she walked past them, Gu-Run nearly jumped. She found Stefan sitting next to the boulder, a wide fur spread under him. Gu-Run waved hello, and he gestured for her to come sit. She had a direct view of Magnus's tombstone. Stop looking at it, Stefan told her. Look up, see the sun setting over the fjord. Gu-Run did as instructed, and Stefan gently took her hand. Neither spoke until it was pitch dark. Then Stefan looked Gu-Run in the eyes. Stay here, I'll be back once the demon appears. Gu-Run played with her necklace, trying not to think about what happened the last time a man promised he'd return for her. No sooner had she thought this than the loose dirt over the deacon's grave pulsed. Within seconds, Magnus flew out of the ground, homing in on Gu-Run. She quivered against the boulder, screaming for Stefan. Magnus landed on the fur next to her. Runny, runny, don't scream, don't fear. Tis only me, your lover, here. He put his arms around her, pulling her into his bare chest. Wu-Run was so exhausted from pushing the boulder, she couldn't fight back. Magna spoke again. You've made a picnic so well worth our last dim night above the earth. Magnus kissed her, and instinctually, Wu-Run kissed back. Maybe he was right. Maybe she should let him take her to the grave. Their kisses grew more passionate, and before Gu-Run knew it, Magnus was above her. One hand caressed her neck, while the other slowly unlaced her dress. She didn't mind the grave cold of his hands. He was still her beloved, and his touch felt even better when he came back from the dead. But as the cold wind fluttered over her bare skin, 
Gu-Run realized why Magnus was undressing her, she'd have nothing to slip out of when he pulled her into the grave. The cyclone began, snow and ice swirling around Magnus as he kissed Gu-Run more frantically. Stefan the sorcerer was nowhere to be seen. Gu-Run was lost, but she wasn't ready to die. She pushed up against Magnus, scratching her fingernails on his hardened skin. She screamed at him, Leave me alone, demon! Our time has passed. Be off! Be off with you! Magnus stopped his kisses, looking deep into her eyes. Runny, runny, in death as life. Runny, runny, be my wife. The words pierced her heart like an icicle. But as soon as she heard them, Gurun knew her answer. No. At that, Magnus's face transformed into pure evil. The cyclone reached full force. His hand tightened at her neck. Gurun jerked away, but the deacon kept hold of her necklace. As the wind pulled him back, the chain snapped. Magnus flew backward into his grave. The necklace clutched to his heart. Gurun sat up, staring in shock. The boulder! Stefan yelled. Wurun jumped to her feet, thankful Stefan had returned. She finally took her eyes off Magnus and pushed with all her might against the boulder. Stefan hurried over to help. Together, they rolled it forward, over the top of Magnus's grave. As Wurun gave her final heave, the air went still. He was gone. Gurun collapsed, shivering with cold and exhaustion. Stefan was right there with her, wrapping her in his cloak. He spoke through his windswept beard. The demon shouldn't bother you anymore. His spirit will rest in peace now that he has his answer. Gurun gave him a weak smile. Thank you for your help. Stefan patted her back, standing again. No need for flattery. You sent him back to where he belongs. All I did was help roll the boulder so he stays in his grave. Stefan tapped the boulder. I created an enchantment tying it to you. As long as you don't move it, the deacon will never come back. Now, let's go. I'm going to get you some hot mead. Gurun nodded, dazed, exhausted, and finally felt her grief shift from fearful to painful. Her chest ached as if a boulder sat there, too. But as she took one last look at the deacon's grave, she knew it was the better option. She'd never, ever move that rock. Then she turned on her heel and followed Stefan into the church. According to folklorist Dr. Eric Shane Bryan, the Deacon of Mirka is an evolution of traditions stretching all the way back to the earliest iterations of Norse mythology. By some accounts, when medieval Scandinavian warlords died, they were burned or buried with their lovers. The death of the lover was considered a necessity for the warlord's journey to the afterlife. But when Christianity hit Iceland, the story evolved to reflect modern morality, specifically the view that women shouldn't be murdered when their male counterpart dies. 
Despite this history, in Iceland, the story is presented as a local legend, more of a tall tale than a fairy tale. The church cemetery in the real-life town of Mirka has a grave for a famous deacon, with a giant boulder resting atop it. The boulder might serve a symbolic purpose. Placed in the graveyard, it could remind grieving widows that there's danger in failing to move on. It's the reverse of Romeo and Juliet. It's better to be alive and alone than dead with one's lover. Thanks for listening to Tales. We'll be back next Wednesday with a new episode. You can find more episodes of Tales and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free exclusively on Spotify. Join me next week for another dark and surprising fairy tale. Tales is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler, sound design by Nick Johnson, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Tales was written by Maggie Admire, with writing assistance by Wendelin Sabroso and Nora Battelle, fact-checking by Adriana Romero, and research by Adriana Gomez and Mickey Taylor. I'm Vanessa Richardson.